want a war, you're gonna get one. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. I am the game. Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. I'm not to witness. He has broken it. Rep screwed. Rep. Woo! Rep. 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 We are at war! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Monday Night Warfare Podcast. I'm J.R. Judy, joined by the captain of the Dream Team, Wade Skaggs. Hey, Wade, who's on your ideal Survivor Series team? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, is it the four or the five? You pick. Let's just go, let's just go four. It's me... And you, and The Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels. Half of that team survives. I'm not going to say yeah, which half. me and you. But <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but half that team survives. Uh, the reason I'm asking Wade about the Survivor Series is because it's a pay-per-view exclusive edition of the Monday Night Warfare podcast. It is the 1995 Survivor Series. Wade, have you ever seen this show before we watched it for the podcast? Uh, no. No, I haven't. Not, not one pit of it. I don't think so, no. So this was your real first time viewing. Uh, what were your what were your thoughts going in? We were both kind of intrigued by this card on the way into yeah. the Survivor Series. I, I, I was intrigued for sure. The main event, I mean, Bret Hart versus Diesel. I mean, you know, it doesn't get much better than that in 95. Uh, the, uh, the teams, let me look at this real quick. Uh, the Team Royals versus Team Darkside I was looking forward to. The wild card match I was looking forward to. So, yeah, overall I was looking forward to it. I think this show is really interesting because this is really the first show where the WWF isn't relying heavily on all of the occupational gimmicks and all of the tropes from like the the new like 94 95 like early 95 era. They're slowly starting to edge a little bit into that next generation of the WWF. Like they're like the gimmicks are still there, but there's a little edge to even guys like the 123 kid Bob Holly isn't as isn't as animated in his match, um, and, and you'll see it later in the main event too. There's a little bit of edge to everybody, and this mm-hmm. is kind of a, a transitional point I think for the WWF. Agree? Yeah. I absolutely agree, and I'm super psyched for the next year. Well, for the next five years, but to go into '96, I'm looking forward to it very much. This is our second to last WWF pay per view of 1995. We are from the U.S. Air Arena in Landover, Maryland. I say Landover, Maryland, because multiple times in this event, we are told we are in suburban Washington, D.C. I was wondering about that. I'm thinking, okay, they're probably in Virginia, maybe Maryland. So, okay, that answers that. They're in Landover, Maryland. Let's let's Mm -hmm. not say we're in Washington, D.C., but there's a lot of Washington, D.C. references throughout this event. Uh, Interesting thing to note, Wade, this is the first Survivor Series to not take place on Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving night. This is the really? first wow. yeah, this is this is the first Sunday Survivor Series. For those oh. who aren't aware, the Survivor Series used to be the Thanksgiving night tradition. So literally on Thanksgiving night, and then it would eventually switch to the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving would be the Survivor Series. And the Survivor Series was invented to counteract Starcade, which was also a Thanksgiving night tradition. 
So this is the first time we've gotten the Survivor Series not on or around Thanksgiving. It's a little bit of a change for the WWF. Uh, this is one of those full price pay-per-views, not the In Your House. It's a $29.95 is what you paid for the Survivor Series. It's 140,000 pay-per-view buys, Wade. That's down from 205 in 1994. Mm. You want to hear a shocking stat? The, 19, the 1995 WWF Survivor Series is the least bought Survivor Series pre-WWE Network. Really? Wow. This is the lowest bought Survivor Series. And it wasn't, a, I mean, it, it was a solid show, too. I enjoyed this show a lot. And hmm. sort of the sort of the live crowd, 14,500 people jam-packed the U.S. Air Arena. 12,500 fans are paid. $250,000 gates. The fourth biggest pay-per-view gate for 1995 for the WWF hmm. behind WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and the King of the Ring. So one of your big four pay-per-views drawing a big crowd. That's kind of what you want. Yep. Uh, we start off the show, even before the opening package, we're kind of introduced to our commentators. We hear Howard Finkel's voice, which is... The first time we've really talked about Howard Finkel on the podcast, which is very weird. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Perfect! But he introduces the new color commentator, Mr. Perfect, returns to the WWF. Let's go a little history lesson before this uh, pay-per-view jump starts. WrestleMania 10 in 1994, Madison Square Garden, Mr. Perfect returned to the WWF as the guest referee for the Lex Luger-Yokozuna title matchup. After a controversial disqualification of Lex Luger, Mr. Perfect explains, yeah, I screwed Lex Luger because Luger had a controversial win over me at WrestleMania 9. So planting the seeds for a Luger and Perfect re redo of their feud with the roles reversed of the heel-face alignment, but Mr. Perfect's back injury flares up, and the angle scrapped. Perfect leaves the WWF in the spring of 94. This is what transitions Luger into a feud with Tatanka and the Million Dollar Corporation. So Henning took the year off to recover, and this is his return to the WWF tonight. And he'll soon be announced as Jerry Lawler's replacement on Superstars as the guest commentator. Uh, here in about a year, though, there is more to this Mr. Perfect story. So keep an eye on Mr. Perfect. Mm -hmm. for the next year another thing to keep note on i know we don't cover him but the dark match before this paper i hinted at it last week the smoking guns defeated the public enemy the former ecw world tag team champions this match is important for a couple of reasons a it totally spoils a match we're going to cover next week on ecw hardcore tv we'll get there in a mm -hmm. little bit but this is also the public enemy's wwf tryout match so after this match, the public enemy receive a contract offer from the WWF, but they turn it down and accept an offer from WCW, and they will debut in WCW in January. So the tag team division in WCW gets a little bit stronger at the turn of the new year with the public enemies. That's something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Um, so we go, we get a highlight intro package highlighting Brett and Diesel. The fireworks go off. We are welcome to suburban Washington, D.C. And Mr. Perfect calls this the perfect Survivor Series. And there may be no perfect way to start than a Survivor Series elimination matchup. It's the Body Donnas, captained by Skip. It's Rad Rad for the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard, and the 1-2-3 Kid against the underdogs, Marty Jenny, Hakushi, Barry Horowitz, and Bob Holly. Uh... <laughs> I wrote down the underdogs make their way to the ring, and oh, what a band of misfit toys they look like. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like if there, if you said describe the WWF new generation in one picture, it's the underdogs. Like yep. that is all it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Sunny leads out the body. Donna's cutting a promo on the way to the ring. She calls Rad Radford a body Donna in training. She calls Doctor Tom Pritchard a heavenly body Donna. Here's an interesting note. In a couple of months, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard, is going to leave the Heavenly Bodies, cut his hair, and he will become Zip of the Body Donnas. So the tag team division in the WWF changing. The Million Dollar Man then leads out the 1-2-3 Kid, and Vince McMahon says Ted DiBiase bought this spot in the match from Jean-Pierre Lafitte. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know the real story? Absolutely. So, in reality, Jean-Pierre Lafitte had backstage issues with The Click. Oh, no. According to Shane Douglas, there was a house show in... Mon- no, again, according to Shane Douglas. That's Dean Douglas. That's, a, that's our astute teacher. Uh, there was a house show in Montreal, which is Lafayette's hometown. Scheduled matchup between Jean-Pierre Lafitte and Diesel was supposed to end without a clean finish. Either Jean-Pierre Lafitte winning by countout or DQ, which would give the WWF a reason to return for Montreal for a rematch. Not a bad idea. However, due to, quote, backstage politicking by Shawn Michaels, the booking was reversed to a clean pinfall win for Diesel. Lafayette refused to be pinned by the WWF champion, and the match ends in a double countout. Due to this refusal, the click reportedly buried Jean-Pierre backstage, and then Jean-Pierre Lafitte quits the WWF in 1995. Oh, God. The next time we're going to see Jean-Pierre Lafitte in a major American promotion is... Real Honor? No, next September in WCW. So, hope you enjoy. He is Pierre Houlet, and he's one of the amazing French Canadians. They 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 reunite the Quebecers. That's right. So, long story short, somebody had issues with the click, and they are gone from the WWF. Keep that in mind for later. No, I mean keep that in later tonight. That story gets replayed later tonight. Stay tuned for more. Uh, before the matchup starts, the referees are holding back Razor Ramon as he tries to get to the 1-2-3 kid. Mm-hmm. I like that continuation out of, out of Raw. That's when the 1-2-3 kid turned his back on Razor and aligned with the Million Dollar Corporation. Yeah, we, start with the sure. match, we start with the matchup. Marty Jenny and Dr. Tom Pritchard. Marty takes out all four body Donnas in the early moments of this match, and the crowd, as usual, is super hot for Marty Jenny. Like, he is Mm -hmm. the unsung hero of 1995. Uh, Bob Holly with a Frankensteiner to Rad Radford? What? Rad Radford tries one, gets countered with a powerbomb. Hakushi tags in, and man, what an ovation for Hakushi, too. He and Barry Horowitz, Mm -hmm. they're crowd favorites in suburban Washington, D.C. Hakushi goes off the rope, gets caught with a big double-A spine buster by Rad Radford. Technically a double R spine buster, whatever. Uh, kid with a big splash on the top rope on Hakushi. Only gets a two count. Skip uh, takes Hakushi to the top rope. Hakushi counters the back, counters the back suplex with a cross body. Then we get a great exchange here between Bob Holly and Skip. Like both men are with great counter moves. They're fast and furious. Bob Holly is so underrated for what he can yeah, do in the ring. A hundred percent. Uh, Dr. Tom tags in. Gut wrench power bomb on Bob Holly. Only a two count. Dr. Tom misses the moonsault. Holly with a top rope crossbody. And at 517, Bob Holly eliminates Dr. Tom Pritchard. 
As Bob Holly celebrates the pinfall, Skip comes in, rolls up Bob Holly in a 523. Bob Holly is eliminated. It is three on three in the Body Donna's Underdogs matchup. Hakushi comes in, pairs up with Skip. A couple of kicks go- taken over on Skip. Hakushi goes for a Vader bomb. Skip gets the knees up. Skip then with a top rope Frankensteiner on Hakushi, but then he says he la- they land on his head. <laughs> like, what? So Skip can't follow up. Crowd is just eagerly waiting for Barry Horowitz to tag in throughout this matchup. The kid tags in, takes over, but Hakushi gets with a handspring elbow in the corner, flying forearm to the kid. Hakushi from the top rope, diving shoulder block on the one, two, three kid, only gets a two count. And then Hakushi slams the kid, goes for a springboard splash. Kid moves out of the way. And then we cut to the locker room. Razor Ramon is watching on the monitor with, with part of the dark side team. So not even his own team. He's watching, he's watching the kids matchup. And he's just progressively getting more and more frustrated the mm-hmm. longer the kid's in this matchup. Back in the ring, the kid kicks Hakushi in the back of the head. Rad Radford scores the pinfall. And at 8-10, Hakushi's eliminated. So it is now three-on-two body Donna's. Barry Horowitz comes in trying to protect his partner and gets jumped by Rad Radford. The kid with a series of kicks in the corner to Barry Horowitz. And then Barry, or sorry, Rad Radford with a gut wrench suplex. But then he breaks up the pin. He lifts up Barry Horowitz. Radford with a big clothesline and again picks up his own pin. And you can see Skip instructing Rad Radford, punish him, hurt him. And then Skip eventually wants to pin Barry Horowitz. This, of course, revenge from before the SummerSlam pay-per-view where Barry Horowitz finally got that first win over Skip. Skip is holding this grudge. Rad Radford with a Northern, Northern Light Suplex only gets a two-count again. Then Rad decides, I'm going to show off to Skip and Sunday. I'm going to do some push-ups in the ring. Barry Horowitz rolls him up. And at 11.26, Rad Radford is eliminated. So then it is two-on-two. Uh, Skip is yelling at Radford. And then, then he goes face-to-face with Barry Horowitz. We finally get Barry against Skip. Uh, Barry with a series of shots to Skip. But Kid makes a blind tag. The Kid kicks Barry in the back of the head. Delivers a leg drop for the win. So the Kid eliminates Barry Horowitz at 12-25. And now it's 2-on-1. It's Marty Jannetty against the 1-2-3 Kid and Skip. Uh, and we go back to the locker room. And Razor is going insane. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing, Razor. You're not in this match. You have no stake in this match. Uh, uh, can you imagine, like, Tom Brady watching a football game and Aaron Rodgers throws a touchdown pass and Tom Brady's pissed? I can't believe he's doing well. Yeah. Uh, Skip charges Marty in the corner. Marty moves out of the way. Skip crashes hard. Skip goes for a powerbomb. Jenny counters the roll-up, only gets a two-count. Jenny hits the rocker dropper and doesn't go for the pin. Yep. Again. This keeps uh, happening, dude. It's so annoying, man. Janetti goes for the top rope for the big fish drop. Sonny shakes the ropes, causing Janetti to lose his balance. Here is the most insane thing of the entire Survivor Series. Skip goes to the top. Janetti counters and power bombs him from the top rope to eliminate Skip at 15.02. And that's not even the end of the match. That mm-hmm. is just a lost-in-the-shuffle elimination. So we go, we're down now to the one, two, three kid and Marty Jetty. The kid jumps, Marty hits a spinning wheel kick and a top rope leg drop. Marty kicks out at two. Kid with a drop kick to Jenny in the corner, trying to put him away. Kid eventually slams Jenny, goes back to the top rope, goes for a flip senton. Jenny moves out of the way. Jenny begins to fight back on the kid and then gets a big drop kick. Only a two count for Jenny. And then here comes Psycho Sid. 
the golden child of the million dollar corporation makes his way to ringside. Janetti hits a back elbow to the kid. He hits the rocker dropper and actually goes for a pin. But the kid gets his foot on the rope. DiBiase on the apron. Sid drops Marty across the top rope. The kid crawls over and gets the final pinfall at 1845. The 1-2-3 kid is the sole survivor for the body Donna's. I had fun with that tag match. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I tell you what, I, I did enjoy it. And what the most surprising thing to me was, although it shouldn't have been, at the beginning of the match, kid comes down, he, they play Ted DiBiase's music, and he comes down with Ted. I'm like, bro, wow, this is real now. I should have seen this coming. If you watched our podcast last week, you know, actually, you don't have to watch it because I, I was wrong on everyone, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, my prediction was that, it. well, good. You're a good friend. I like that. Okay. Uh, I predicted that Marty would be the sole survivor. And so it's progressing through the match. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, I'm going to win this. I'm going to get some bragging rights. Uh, turns out, nope, I was wrong. I should have foreseen this, that the corporation would get involved. I didn't think Sid would get involved. I was wrong. My thinking was Razor would get involved. And sometime during the match and get one, two, three kid out because I thought that he was the linchpin to this team's success. And I was right about that. Uh, Marty, I just based off the the uh, the competition he was against British Bulldog in that last match. Remember, it was a pretty even match. So I'm thinking Marty's going the distance. And uh, I was so close, man. I was so close. So speaking mm. of speaking of Razor Ramon, after the matchup, we see Razor's reaction to the kid winning. He is throwing monitors. He breaks a monitor. He's yeah. throwing tables. He is destroying this locker room, and he wasn't even in the match. Like, did Razor have a bet like you did that Marty's the sole survivor? He may have. He was betting in Vegas, let me tell you. <laughs> We go backstage. Todd Pettengill is with the remainder of Razor's wildcard team. And Jim Cornette says, Razor, you need to decide where your allegiance lies, with your team or somebody else's business. We didn't want you anyway. If we can't, if you can't get along, we can get it on. Owen Hart tells Razor to get serious. Dean Douglas says, Razor, get your head on straight. Razor could be a pivotal factor uh, to his team's success or failure later tonight in the wild card match. So we go to our next Survivor Series elimination matchup. Bertha Faye, Aja Kong, Tomoko Watanabe, and Leonis Asuka take on Alundra Blaze, Kyoko Inoue, Saki Hasegawa, and Chaparita Asari. I was closer that time of pronouncing those names. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> um, so, first of all, Asuka is spelled like Asuka, but it's mm -hmm. not... So that's real confusing. If it's in Japan, it probably is. I don't know. Jim Ro Jim Ross but... calls the majority of this matchup because Vince and Perfect have no idea who anybody is or what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, the only one in this entire match, for the, uh, the only one of the Japanese women that I know is Aja Kong because she's still wrestling now. Yeah. Uh, of the other ones, I don't know, though. So Asuka and Asari start the matchup in a giant swing by Asuka. Asari is mm -hmm. the smallest in this match by a lot. And they really just abuse her. Uh, Asari with the Sky Twister press on Asuka, which is essentially a spiral tap, which is amazing. Yes. That, bro, my mind was blown, man. Such a great move. I love that. 
Alundra hits the German suplex, eliminates Asuka at 141. Watanabe comes into the ring, misses a moonsault, and Alundra follows up with a big diving crossbody all the way to the floor. Hasegawa tags in, series of rolling double-arm suplexes to Watanabe, which was super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watanabe counters with a seated senton, then delivers another seated senton from the top rope, only gets a two-count. Aja Kong tags in and gets taken, and then gets taken over the big suplex by Hasegawa. Only gets a two count, like not a strong start for Aja Kong to come in and immediately get thrown around. Uh, Aja ends up kicking Hasegawa from the top with a kick, and then delivers a very stiff suplex for a pinfall victory at 358, eliminating Hasegawa. Asari tags in and bounces off of Aja Kong. Kong off the middle rope with a splash squashes Asari at 425. Another elimination for Aja Kong. Inoue tags in and gets hit with a series of close or hits a series of close on Aja Kong. Aja countered a sunset flip by sitting on Kyoko for the win, leaving Alundra down three to one at five at the 502 mark. So all three women then come into the ring and corner Alundra Blaze, who attempts to fight her way out of the corner. Alundra takes over Watanabe with, and gets a very awkward two count after a suplex. Like, I don't know if that was supposed to be the finish of that sequence, but the referee said two. Alundra then, I think, attempts a power bomb, can't get Watanabe up, and adjusts into a pile driver for the pinfall mm-hmm. win at 6.30. Never in my life would I have thought a pile driver is a safe exit plan from any move. But that was the exit plan. Yep. Um, Bertha Faye comes in, attacks Alundra Blaze, kicking off their feud over the WWF women's title. At one point, Bertha and Aja are trying to double team Alundra. They crash into each other. Alundra hits the German suplex. On, uh, on Bertha Faye and eliminates her at 7-11. And Bertha just immediately pops up and gets out of the ring. Like, she looks annoyed. It's like, she's out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not have click problems in case anybody's caring. Uh, so now we're down to the WWF Women's Champion, Alundra Blaze and Aja Kong. Aja takes down Alundra with a superplex, only gets a two count. Aja goes for the spinning back fist. Alundra ducks. Alundra then traps... Or Aja then traps Alundra in the corner and... What I what I wrote down is the reverse Yeti. And the Yeti! What in the hell is going on? And who is on whose side? Like, I don't have a good way to describe what's happening in that corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Alundra with a Frankensteiner only gets a two count. Alundra off the top of the missile dropkick. Standing Moonsault to follow still only gets a two count. Alundra attempts to go up the top one more time. Gets pulled off by Aja Kong. Aja then climbs the ropes, gets kicked in the head by Alundra. It's back and forth. Aja with the big avalanche splash, or uh, the avalanche splash to Alundra, and then the spinning back fist right to the face. And at, at 10.01, Aja Kong eliminates Alundra Blaze and is the sole survivor. Man, oh man. This match. Okay, here we go. Are you ready now? Uh, let, right. let, me, let me get my one thing in before you rank. I, I know if it's coming. I thought this match was entertaining, mm-hmm. but sloppy. Yeah, but inter- I don't know. It was. I don't mm-hmm. know how to feel after this. Yeah. still entertaining. That's that's how good they are. You can because t- I wrote it down too. Like this match at times was a little sloppy. I think that uh, the Japanese wrestlers may not have been used to like what the WWE style, what they wanted to do with this match, wrestling with Alundra and and Bertha and so on. Uh, we, I've been wanting to talk about this all week. Uh, me and you talked about it. 
uh, you can tell, even though it's a little sloppy at times, you can tell that every woman in this match is a really good wrestler. Uh, I will say one funny thing, though. During this match, the Japanese women would, like, keep jumping in the ring before they were officially tagged. Did you notice mm -hmm. that? Yep. I was like, they would come through the ropes and they're like, oh, yeah, I need to tag. You know, that Oops. was... I don't know if there was some kind of different Japanese uh, style in the 90s or something. I, I really don't know. Uh, but that was funny to me. But let me tell you something, brother. Oh, no. Okay? This is great wrestling, or what could have been absolutely great. These are great wrestlers here. If you see even just the end between Aja Kong and Alundra Blaze, I want to see that match. Like, I want to see them keep wrestling. I want to see all six of these women come into the WWE and fight over the WWF Championship, but they don't. We know, look at this, if you watch clips and shows from the 90s in, J in Japan, women's wrestling is fantastic. Okay, I've seen clips, I've seen matches, you got Aja Kong and all the others. It's absolutely great. You got Bull Nakano, who's an absolute legend. She'll be in WCW next year. Um, just absolutely great wrestling. But does Vincent Kennedy McMahon and Kevin Dunn and all them want them to be wrestling in WWF? Nope. Why? Because they don't care about wrestling ability. They care about broad panties matches and so on and so forth. Now, we'll have those a little later, but still. Like, if they would have allowed incredible wrestling to get over in the 90s, which was very possible, we've seen it tonight. Incredible wrestlers all around the world exist. But you got literally, t I don't know besides the two, Alundra Blaze and, and Big Bertha, I don't know who else is in the, in the women's division. But they still have a championship. And then Alundra will go to WCW not, you know, not too long from now. They don't even have a, a women's championship. I don't know what's going on with women's wrestling, but it's not good. Okay? They, let, me, let me just say one thing. If they would have allowed women to wrestle, just freaking wrestle... There would have been no need for a women's revolution in 2014. Okay, there would have been no Divas Championship with a butterfly. There would have been none. There would not have been Divas. Okay, there would have been great wrestling. And Impact Wrestling uh, started, kickstarted out like Women's Revolution in America in like 05. You know, with Gail Kim and Awesome Kong in them. They could have done this a decade earlier in WWF easily. Easily. But I, I have to just, the sexism of Vince McMahon, and it's not just him, because as I said, there's no women really wrestling in WCW either. There could have been such incredible wrestling, but they were held back for decades. I'm so glad that they have a, a platform to excel these days. And seeing things the, the, the way they were back then, and we grew up in the, in the ruthless, aggression, we, uh, ruthless aggression era, we saw the Braun Pays matches. We saw the live sex celebrations. We saw the, you know, pink ladders. You know, we saw the ball gown matches and whatever. It's absolute nonsense. We could have had great wrestling this entire time. But because Vince McMahon and his cronies think, we oh, we just want to see Braun Panties and so on and so forth, we didn't get great, incredible wrestling when we could have had it the entire time. I'm not, I'm not going to defend the creepy old man with the, with the hush money. Um, but... To his defense, the original plan for the 1996 Rumble was Aja Kong versus Alundra Blaze. I would have, but it didn't happen. No. Uh, well, uh, I would have loved to see that. So the next couple of months on Raw, we get two more Aja Kong matches. 
Because um, Aja Kong, after the match, does motion that she wants the WWF Women's title. Um, we do get a little bit more Aja Kong on Raw. But you're right. Somebody leaves the WWF before this match can happen. Spoiler of what's going to happen in a couple months. Right. I couldn't remember when I couldn't remember when it happened, but yeah, I know it's coming. Uh yeah. You've got about 5 episodes of the podcast max. Oh wow. Okay. So Spoilers of what's going to happen soon. Uh but yeah, I think you're exactly right. They they were starting something. Mm-hmm. And then they just dropped the ball. Uh yeah. co- cost-cutting measures was the given reason. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh anyway, we <laughs> Speaking of spending money on stuff, uh, we go back to the arena. Todd Pettengill is with the miss with Mr. President, uh, the fake Bill Clinton they spent money on. Uh, they're interviewing him about our next matchup, about Bam Bam Bigelow. And he says, yeah, I've been watching Bam Bam since he was a kid playing with Pebbles. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is so ridiculous, dude. What? <laughs> so... Like I hate I hate that joke, but I will say during Bam Bam's entrance, his pyro goes off and the quote Secret Service covers up Mr. President. Mm-hmm. That is great. Yeah, that was hilarious. I don't get how the WWF, who doesn't understand how to do commenta- uh, comedy, can accidentally do good com- like comedy sometimes. Because mm-hmm. that was funny comedy. Yeah. Uh, so our next matchup is Goldust against Bam Bam Bigelow. Goldust, of course, undefeated in the WWF. Uh, Goldust makes his way to the rim and gets a pre-recorded comment. Says Bam Bam is going to experience tragedies he's only experienced in his nightmares. Uh, we got actual paparazzi during Goldust entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lost the black ears. Yeah, I was just going to say that he's got gold ears now. And, and Goldust is slowly becoming uh, the word they like to use is androgynous. Uh, during his pre-match rituals, we're mm-hmm. starting to see the slow evolution into the Gold Dust character we would become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really, they're really just um, kind of adapting this character on the fly. Uh, Gold Dust yeah. starts the match off series tell. series of right hands to Bam Bam Bigelow, chokes him across the top row. Bam Bam takes over, but. And this is, a, this is a recurring theme in this match. Every time Bam Bam starts to get some offense going, Goldust retreats to the floor and taunts Bam Bam. Uh, this match is really slow. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really slow. Goldust slaps Bam Bam in the face. Bam Bam answers with a drop kick. Goldust retreats again. And then Goldust on the floor sets up Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow moves out of the way. Goldust punches the ring post. Goldust closes, clotheslines Bam Bam over the top rope, back out to the floor again. And this pace is just slowing mm-hmm. down. Goldust slings Bam Bam face first into the ropes. Applies a headlock. Bam Bam eventually counters the big back suplex. And then Bam Bam goes for the follow-up headbutt. Goldust moves out of the way. And again, they talk about it on commentary. Bam Bam cannot string any offense together. Goldust mm-hmm. eventually puts submission on Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam escapes with the electric chair. That's a lot of weight on his shoulders to drop down. And again, he can't follow up. Goldust takes Bam Bam down with a big clothesline and a knee drop. Only gets a two count. Finally, Bam Bam starts to fight back. Big suplex series of clotheslines to Goldust. Bam Bam goes for the splash in the corner. Goldust moves out of the way. Hits the Bulldog for the win. It begins to rain gold as Goldust celebrates a victory. Third mediocre performance for Goldust. Third different finishing move. I don't that, know, man. That was... Th- 
<laughs> that was the point I was going to make, is that, yeah, you're absolutely right. The match was, honestly, it was just boring. Uh, he wins with a bulldog. When's the last time you saw somebody win with a match with a bulldog? When he was uh, Dustin well, Rhodes. 95, yeah. When he was oh, Dustin okay. Rhodes. Well, like, I didn't three know months that, ago. anyway. The natural? Yeah. Uh, any, any who, like, I think it was last week or the one before he won with a gourd buster. When is he going to get a set finisher, dude? I, I just have no clue. Um, one thing that we've talked about before in the podcast is at the beginning of the matches up until now, Goldust would rip his wig off and then immediately punch the guy. And I loved that. I thought that was so cool. And he didn't do it this time. Uh, I'm guessing since we're progressing, he's not going to do it anymore. I th that, which is, I thought was a mistake because I thought that was honestly a really cool thing to do. Um, he's he's got to be androgynous and creepy yeah. and strange. So he takes the wig off and he just kind of looks at it and holds it up like this before he, you know, they get started more conventionally in the match. Uh, it could have been so much more. Bam Bam was one of the best big men. I, you know, we've talked about this before. It's not like he's facing Yokozuna. You know what I mean? You don't have to slow this match down this much, really. You know what I mean? It could have been a lot more. Bam Bam main evented WrestleMania like eight months prior. Bam Bam yeah. was the main event of WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. I bring that up because say goodbye to Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, that's the last time you'll see Bam Bam Bigelow in the WWF. Bam Bam negotiated an early release from his contract with Vince McMahon had to become disillusioned by the creative influence of the click. Oh, God. That's two in a yeah. night. Uh, so this yeah this is Bam Bam's final appearance for the hmm. WWF. The next so Bam Bam kind of goes off and kind of hops around different federations. You will see Bam Bam for a brief stint in a major American promotion in February of '96, and then he will disappear for a while, and then come back in like '97. So Bam Bam Bigelow is very sporadic in america he becomes a bigger deal in japan in his off time mm -hmm. we go back to mr president's box and his invited guest of mr bob backland and uh bob Backlund wants to basically ask mr president what the heck are you doing here and mm -hmm. the president says i had nothing else to do and then said it would be an honor to run against bob backland in the presidential race i don't think like the Bill Clinton impersonator can actually hear Bob Backlund. He's like, is uh -huh. like, he's very confused on either what Bob is saying or how to react to Bob. Regardless, well, Kamara, so was I. So you know, that's fine. Yeah, like you knew these two were gonna interact, but it was <laughs> such a weird, like, just bleh. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. He Bill said something about uh, Colin Powell dropped out of the race, so now Bob Backlund can jump right in. You know, and I'm like. This is so weird. Bob is just such a weird dude, man. Like, yeah. he watched this promo. He's just uh, such a weird dude. That's Mr. Backlund to you? Yeah. Please refer I wish to him he... as Mr. Bob Backlund. Yeah. I wish he made Darren Young great again, but uh, he didn't, so. <laughs> uh, so then we get a recap of the feud between The Undertaker and King Mabel, which started the 1995 King of the Ring, where Mabel defeated The Undertaker in the tournament thanks to interference from Kama, and then eventually goes on to win the tournament. Last month on Raw, it was Mabel and Yokozuna attacking The Undertaker in that six-man tag team matchup, and they, in storyline, crushed The Undertaker's face. Wade, this all leads... To our next Survivor Series elimination matchup, the dark side, The Undertaker, Savio Vega, Fatu, and Henry O'Godwin take on the Royals, King Mabel, Jerry Lawler, Isaac Yankum, DDS, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. 
Uh, on his way to the ring, Jerry Lawler cuts a pre-match promo saying it takes a king to know a king. And he introduces the 568-pound King Mabel being carried to the ring not by a rhino this time. It's a very brave strategy of Mabel. Yeah. Uh, Savio Vega, Fatu, and Henry Gawa make their way to the ring. Fatu repping the BSK on his beanie. I saw that. And Henry O'Godwin's carrying a stuffed pig. Why? Like, it, it never gets addressed. He just carries mm-hmm. this pig to the ring. Um, we get it. You're a pig farmer. We don't need you to have mm-hmm. a pig. Uh, his, the entire team is wearing Undertaker shirts. As the lights go out, the gong sounds through the arena, and the crowd erupts. Paul Bear leads the Undertaker to the ring. And the, cre- and the camera's doing a really good job not giving us mm-hmm. a close-up of the Undertaker. That mystique continues. I am going to say this. This was Mabel's best match we've covered. Not because of what he did in the ring, but because of all the little things. The Undertaker Mm -hmm. removes his hat, and the look of fear on Mabel's face. They're shooting over the Undertaker's shoulder, and you see Mabel's face. Mm -hmm. Mabel's fear. He is selling it so well. The Undertaker begins to stalk around the ring, clearing out the Royals. Nobody wants to deal with the Undertaker. Uh, Fatu and Hunter Hearst Helmsley start the matchup. This, of course, playing off of In Your House 4. Fatu starts with a big back body drop. Fatu ducks his head, and Triple H immediately goes for the pedigree, but then he turns his head. The Undertaker scares him out of the hold. That was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess, I guess we didn't bring this up, Wade. I, I kind of blew right past it. This is Phantom of the Undertaker. Like, yeah. he's wearing the protective mask. Mm-hmm. He looks terrifying. Yeah. Uh, this is the protective face, and they, uh, everybody, like, on commentary, they're playing it up as it's a protective mask. We get it. Mm-hmm. All four guys in the ring, you would think that's the Undertaker's actual face. Yeah, for real. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. It, it is really cool, man. I, I really like that a lot. Uh, speaking of faces and heads, Fatu's head gets rammed in the top turn, but goes super strong Samoan head. Why do they never learn? Uh, Henry Godwin tags in Triple H immediately retreats. He tags in Jerry Lawler, who immediately tags in Isaac Yankum. That was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, Godwin with a big series of offense. Isaac Yankum, big elbow drop. Yankum takes over on Henry Godwin, and then, then Hunter Hersonsley tags in. Ah, that Connecticut blue blood. I did like the exchange between Isaac Yankum and Henry Godwin. They were two big guys. They're moving around pretty well. Like, I wouldn't hate a singles match between those two. Mm -hmm. On commentary, Mr. Perfect says that Hunter Hearst Helmsley would like to be called Triple H. Thank God I can call him Triple H now. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is a mouthful. Uh, Triple H with a big knee lift to the face of Henry Godwin. Godwin answers back with a huge press slam on Triple H, and man, does he hold him in the air for a while. Mm -hmm. Lawler and Vega tag in. Lawler starts to mock Savio Vega's dancing and then gets dropkick in the back. That was great. King is on his stuff tonight. Yankum comes in, big body slam, and a leg drop to Fatu, and then he tags in King Mabel. And King Mabel's moving around, man. He's he's mm-hmm. agile in this matchup. Yeah. Savio Vega tags in and gets caught with essentially a one-arm black hole slam by Mabel. Mm-hmm. That thing was impressive. Yeah. And then Mabel with a huge overhead throw to Savio Vega. Yankum tags back in. Isaac Yankum with a drop kick. Mm-hmm. Which means That's right. Which means Kane with a drop kick. Yes, sir. Which means Mayor of Knox County, Glenn Jacobs, with a drop kick. 
What? Um, Jerry Lawler tags in, delivers the pile driver to Savio Vega, and for the second match in a row, doesn't go for the cover. He taunts before he goes. This is his pile driver. This is his finishing move. He eventually goes for the cover. Savio kicks out at two. And then Savio Vega and Triple H pair up. Savio with a big rock bottom on Triple H. I wonder if Dwayne's watching yet. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Savio can't make the tag. Triple H tags in Jerry Lawler, who again goes for a pile driver. This time Savio blocks, question mark, uh, avoids the contact of the pile driver. Regardless, he tags in The Undertaker, who slowly stalks Jerry Lawler. Lawler retreats to his corner, and his entire team just bails. They're like, nope. Dude, this was the best part of the whole match, dude. I loved it. When Undertaker comes in, the crowd goes wild. And this happens multiple times, too. He goes to tag in the guys, and they all jump down to the outside. It is hilarious. I love that. Such a great idea. Lawler turns around, knows he's in trouble, and can't do anything about it. Gets scooped up and tombstoned. The Undertaker eliminates Jerry Lawler at 12-19. Isaac Yankum comes into the ring and gets caught with a big clothesline by The Undertaker. Undertaker scoops up Isaac Yankum. Tombstone pile driver at 12-50. Isaac Yankum is eliminated. Triple H tries to sneak attack The Undertaker and gets spooked. He bails, and he's trying to leave the ring. But who should be waiting up the entranceway? Henry Godwin with a slop bucket. Undertaker pulls Triple H to the apron and then chokeslams him from the outside in. Mm-hmm. And at, thir- at 1335, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is pinned. That's his first pinfall loss in the WWF. He's still undefeated in singles competition. They're going to milk that. Just prepare oh, yeah. for that. Uh, so then it is down to King Mabel against the entire dark side. Mabel attacks the Undertaker, delivers the big belly-to-belly suplex and the leg drop. He starts to dance around. The Undertaker sits up. Mabel is terrified. He falls out of the ring and runs away. Mabel mm-hmm. is counted out at 1421. The Dark Side celebrate by chokeslamming Sir Mo. And the Dark Side pitch the shutout. The Undertaker, Savio Vega, Fatu, and Henry Godwin all survive. I like that match. It was fun. Me it too. Con- it continued two feuds. Yep. Like, that was fun. Absolutely, it was. It was great. When Mabel ran out of the ring, I cracked up. And also, the ref counted them out extremely fast. Like, he, like they wanted that match to be over like that. He kept, Like, it wasn't one, two. No, he counted fast. Uh, so that was something. The One of the coolest parts of this match, we get The Undertaker versus Kane two years early in this match. And that was awesome. Like, when, uh, uh, you know, Isaac came in. I just kind of took a second, and I was like, wow. We're seeing these two guys go against each other uh, way before Kane comes into. Uh, awesome, awesome. Uh, as, as you're saying, great, great fun match. I was close to having my pr- uh, prediction right. I underestimated the rest of the Undertaker's team, because Undertaker doesn't really fit in with this team, let's be completely honest. So I just, I assumed that Undertaker would be the sole survivor, but them... Uh, all surviving to the end was the right choice. I think that was really cool to see. You, you mentioned something where, you know, Isaac Yankum and The Undertaker are going to face off in a couple of years and how important that's going to be. But look at this entire matchup as a whole. You've got, on the dark side, The Undertaker, who we know how important he is to the WWF. 
Fatu is going to become Rikishi and a pivotal character in the Attitude Era. Henry Godwin is going to join up with Phineas Godwin and become the Godwin and then Southern Justice throughout the Attitude Era. Savio Vega is going to join the Nation of Domination and then Los Bariquas. On the Royal side, Mabel is going to return as Viscera. Jerry mm-hmm. Lawler, Jerry Lawler is the voice of Raw with Jim Ross. Isaac Yankum is is Kane, and then Triple H is as of this recording, like the head of creative in WWE and a fourteen time world champion. Yes, sir. The amount of future star power and importance in this match in just a couple years, let alone you know twenty seven years or whatever it is. Man, we are old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after the matchup, Vince McMahon asked Jim Ross who he thinks will walk out of the Survivor Series as the WWF champion. Jim Ross says Diesel. We'll keep that in mind. We go to pre-recorded comments for Brett the Hitman Hart and Diesel, both talking about not only the title match tonight, but also the eventual winner. The winner will face the British Bulldog December the 17th at In Your House Seasons Beatings. Brett says, look, I need to focus on Diesel. Brett compares himself to Wayne Gretzky and continually asks himself if he's still the best, and tonight he has a chance to prove it. Something, something, truck stops here. Something, something, puns. (laughs) Stop doing puns, Brett. (laughs) No, don't Uh, listen to him. Keep doing it. (laughs) Uh, Diesel says the Bulldog wouldn't be in the picture if Brett wouldn't have gotten involved. Diesel says the longer this match goes, it may favor Brett, but Diesel doesn't get paid by the hour. And he doubts Brett. He loves that line. He doubts Brett survives. Then we go to the to my favorite interview of the entire night. Todd Pettengill is with Jim Cornette, the British Bulldog, Sid, and Ted DiBiase. Next, the wild card match. I've got to begin with Jim Cornette. I talked to you earlier on. You were with the opposing team. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? You haven't talked to me. I haven't seen you all day. I've been getting the British Bulldog ready to win. I told you I'd be on your side, Davey, and I'm going to stick with you all the way. Teddy, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm an honest as the day is long. I'll tell you something, Jim Cornette. I don't care who's on my team as long as my team wins and brings home the cash. But I told you once, and I'm going to tell you again right now, nobody crosses the Million Dollar Man. Remember it, Cornette. Ladies, 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 stop the fighting. If you're going to fight, you got one of two choices. Be like all the rest of the chicks and fight over the heartbreak kid, or be like the dudes and, well, fight Ahmed because he's my back door. What? I, I, I don't want to fight Ahmed Johnson. Nope. Never. He'd eat me. Yeah. Uh, basically... <laughs> Just another weird setup for the wild card matchup. Uh, let's run down the backstory of the uh, the wild card matchup. This matchup, orchestrated and created by interim president Gorilla Monsoon. There's no rhyme or reason to why these teams got made. Gorilla just got bored and picked yep. names out of a hat. I'm assuming. That's because Gorilla Monsoon wants to be the most fan friendly president of the WWF. Shut up. He gave us Yoko versus Mabel. No, I'm impeaching Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, so our wild card matchup is Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog, and Psycho Sid against the Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, Dean Douglas, Yokozuna, and Owen Hart. There are so many little subplots in this. You've got Shawn Michaels returning from the injury from the attack in Syracuse. I wonder how many times they mentioned Syracuse tonight. It's a lot. Uh- it's honestly, it's too much at this point. Uh, Ahmed Johnson making his debut on pay-per-view. The British Bulldog is the number one contender to the WWF title. Psycho Sid 
is the golden boy of the Million Dollar Corporation. He's feuding with Razor Ramon, but he's also the former bodyguard of Shawn Michaels. Those two broke up after WrestleMania 11 in April, and Sid put Shawn on the shelf. Other side, Razor Ramon's the Intercontinental Champion, and he won the title from Dean Douglas, who won the title by forfeit from Shawn Michaels. Yoko Zuna and Owen Hart, the former tag team champions, they're also aligned with the British Bulldog on the opposite side. So many little subplots in this matchup. Uh, during Ahmed Johnson's entrance, did you see the bring back Teddy Long sign? No, I missed that. <laughs> There's a bring back oh, Teddy Long. Oh, wow. I love uh, that. Teddy Long does not return to the WWF until December 21st, 1998. Mm. And he's a referee. Because he'll be in uh, WCW soon. He's already so I'm looking there. forward to that. He's already there. Is he? Yep. I haven't he, seen him yet. Uh, he has not gotten his new client, but you have seen his new client. He actually, Scott Norton? Scott Norton is one of his clients. He also And has, Ice Train? And uh, Craig Pittman. That's right. That's right. I completely forgot about that, yeah. So we will get a lot of Teddy Long uh, in 1996. Uh, what an ovation for Shawn Michaels on his way to the ring. Mm-hmm. Like, the crowd missed Shawn Michaels. Uh before the matchup, both teams are huddling on each side. Something I noted, and just keep this in the back of your mind, there's a shot of Sid, Sean, and Ahmed talking strategy. Remember this trio in about a year. Something happens. Something, something warrior is all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, anyway, Owen and Sean start the matchup fast and furious. Interesting to know here that tomorrow night on Raw, Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels will go one-on-one. So they're going to start the matchup hot and heavy. Owen throws Sean over the top rope. Sean skins the cat, takes Owen to the outside. Sean leaps over the top rope, steals Jim Cornette's tennis racket, and hits him right on the keister. Uh, Dean Douglas tags in big suplex to Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, of course, we talked about it, forfeited the Intercontinental title to Dean Douglas in your house four. Uh, Sean throws Dean into the corner, big flying forearm. Sean's really offensive against Dean Douglas, um, which I imagine this is how that match would have gone if they would have actually happened anyway. Mm. Uh, something, something, Douglas hates the click. Something, something, he's leaving soon because of the click. Um, is it really because of that? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it's something, something, click. Uh <laughs> Sean double axe handled off the top, only gets a two count. Dean Douglas goes for a Vader bomb. Sean moves out of the way, hits a moonsault. Owen Hart breaks up the pin. That one seems normal. Wait till later. Some of these pin breakups are not normal. Mm-hmm. Ahmed Johnson tags in House of Fire on Dean Douglas, and Owen Hart tries to body slam Yoko Zuna, but Dean and Owen cut him off. And then here it is, my favorite trope of the entire event. Mr. Fuji's waving the Japanese flag for non-Japanese wrestlers. Dean Douglas is from Pittsburgh. Not Japan. And he's not from Pittsburgh, Japan, or Tokyo, Pennsylvania. Anyway, Ahmed Johnson's in the corner. Dean Douglas tries to choke Ahmed. And Razor Ramon is delivering right hands Diesel or Dean Douglas and Razor are working as a unit to take over Ahmed Johnson. These strange bedfellows coming alive a little bit yep. in this matchup. Uh, Ahmed Johnson takes over Dean Douglas with a huge power set. Then he military presses his own partner, Shawn Michaels, onto Dean Douglas. Still only gets a two count. 
Sean goes for Sweet Chin Music. Dean rolls out of the ring. Razor on the floor says, Dean, get back in the ring. The two begin to argue. Razor punches Dean in the face, and Sean rolls up Dean Douglas. At 7.30, Douglas is eliminated. So, dissension on... Technically, it's Team Dean, but really, let's be honest, Razor's the captain of this team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they said Douglas was the captain. He is never the captain of this team. Uh, Owen Hart comes in. Shawn Michaels immediately tags in the British Bulldog, and now the brother-in-laws come face-to-face. Uh, I like how they both had a left-handed handshake and then both punched each other right in the face at the same time. Those dastardly heels. Uh, Bulldog with a huge monkey flip to Owen Hart. Owen Hart answered with a big spinning wheel kick, and the Bulldog tags back out to Shawn Michaels. Owen immediately tags in Razor, and now you go from the brother-in-law heels to the quote-unquote friends in the click, the two baby faces, Sean and Razor. Uh, they're kind of exchanging holds. Both men go for a crossbody, collide to the middle of the ring. Sean kips right back up. Sean telegraphs the back body drop. Razor with the Razor's edge on Sean. Ahmed makes the save at two. Sean then whips Razor off the rope. Razor with a big knee lift to Sean. Razor hits the rope again, and this time Sean and Razor collide heads in the middle of the ring. And they really mention it. Sean's taking a lot of offense targeting the head. For a guy who was attacked by nine thugs in Syracuse. Oh, by the way, he got he attacked in Syracuse. I haven't mentioned it in the last like three minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something, something, Syracuse, click, something, something. Uh, Sean blind tags Psycho sit into the ring and, it, and then attacks Razor from behind uh, they show Sean on the apron during Sid's offense, and he looks disoriented. So the concern for Sean Michaels is playing through this matchup. Sid continues to stop on Razor. Yokozuna comes in and attacks Sid, saving Razor. So again, these weird teams are playing a weird dynamic in the Survivor Series. Yes, sir. Uh, Razor and Sid both take each other out with a big double clothesline. Sid's the first man to his feet. He climbs the top rope. Razor catches him and slams him off the top. Only gets a two count. Sid answers back with a one-handed choke slam. Sid doesn't go for a pin. Why don't people go for pins? Instead, he tag. Right, so here's here's where it gets really messy. Sid tags in Shawn Michaels. So then Sid holds Razor for sweet chin music. Razor ducks. Shawn accidentally kicks Sid, and then. Just, oh, well, whatever. And mm-hmm. Razor I knew tries it was going to happen, too. When he was holding him back, I knew it was going to happen. Razor tries to to pin Sid. The Bulldog comes in and, like, I guess lands on Sid. And then Razor pins Sid, who wasn't legal. And, and at 16, 18, Sid's eliminated. I don't know. Like, Sid got screwed. Just calling it now. Sid got screwed. Yeah. Uh, so the Bulldog then comes in again, and he attacks Razor. And as he's doing this, Sid pulls Sean into the ring and power bombs Sean Michaels. So then we're left with Razor and Sean both down in the ring. Wasn't the Bulldog just legal? What is happening? Uh, eventually, Sean or sorry, Razor crawls over, gets the pin on Sean. Only a two count. Owen tags back in and begins to work over Sean's back. And then tags in the 641-pound Yokozuna. A lot of punches to the head in the corner of Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels tries to fight out of the grasp of Yoko and gets hit right in the face by Yoko. Owen tags in, suplexes Shawn, goes to the top rope, misses the diving headbutt. Shawn tags in Ahmed Johnson, who then goes to town on Razor and Owen with some very stiff-looking punches. 
Owen get, then gets hooked up and hit with the Pearl River Plunge by Ahmed Johnson. At 21.49, Ahmed Johnson eliminates Owen Hart. Razor comes in and attacks Ahmed, hits him with a Bulldog from behind. Razor then attacks Bulldog and Sean in the opposition's corner. Ahmed fights back, big spine buster to Razor. Ahmed poses in the corner, which is weird and like very uncharacteristic. Razor hooks him up for the Razor's edge, drops him down, but the Bulldog made a blind tag, and just as he did that, here comes Sid, and here comes the one, two, three kid down to ringside. The Million Dollar Corporation is back out. Razor hits the follow-away slam on the Bulldog, only gets a two count. Razor is off the rope. Kid pulls Razor's foot and then eats a right hand for his trouble, but this allows the Bulldog to hit the running power slam, and the, at, tw at 24 minutes and 8 seconds, the British Bulldog eliminates Razor Ramon. We are down to Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog, and Shawn Michaels against Yokozuna, the former WWF champion. Michaels stuns Yoko with a series of right hands and eats a palm strike to the face. Just bop! Yoko with him with a big body slam to Sean and hits the giant leg drop of death. But again, doesn't go for the pin. He instead drags Sean to the corner for a move we have not yet seen on the podcast. The bonsai drop. Sean moved out of the way at the last second or he would have died. Sean staggers over very disoriented. Finally tags in Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson again slams Yoko Zuna. But the British Bulldog breaks up the pin attempt. And now Sean and Ahmed are very concerned. They attack their own teammate. They send Bulldog out of the ring. Sean delivers sweet chin music to Yokozuna. Ahmed with a running splash. And at 27-24, Ahmed Johnson eliminates Yokozuna. The surviving members are Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and the British Bulldog. Shawn Michaels looks really rough after this match. But Jim Cornette and the Bulldog are so happy they won. Dude, this was so funny to me, dude. Oh, my gosh. Wow, wow, wow. Uh honestly, man, this was this was a fun match too. Uh I enjoyed it. Uh the whole wild card thing is a great idea, I thought. Um Ahmed Ahmed. Ahmed <laughs> Johnson. Well, if that's how it would be pronounced if I saw it normally. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There's a puppet in the ring. Oh god. Um yeah, it he was really showcased in this match, man. He slams Yoko again. That's a great uh great site uh bulldog and jim celebrating i cracked up dude it was so funny uh also i was very very wrong on this prediction i should have known better um i should have known that Ahmed wouldn't lose but i was wrong oh well you know what else is wrong this next scene in the presidential box we mm -hmm. go to oh god we go, we go to Mr. President with Sonny on his lap. Um, he's, they're eating popcorn, and Mr. President says there's nothing more he likes. And he's sitting back, enjoying some popcorn, and watching a perfect match. Her, her eyes are up there, Mr. President. Her, her eyes are up higher. Hey, would you like your popcorn here? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, you know, uh, you're pretty good at this. Uh, you think you might be available for a cabinet position? Mr. President, I'd love to. Uh, why don't you stop by the White House? Maybe we'll go over some of those positions. Oh, Mr. President, I think I'd make the perfect undersecretary. Did you know Bill Clinton had an affair? Because if you didn't, uh, now you do. Yeah. Um, it's even more awkward that Vince McMahon's the one who produced this show. 
Yeah. I um I'm uncomfortable. Yep. Uh I also don't have a segue out of this thing. Me either. Let's just let's <laughs> just get out of it right now. <laughs> Brett and Diesel. Let's let's inject let's inject this podcast with diesel power and go to the next match. There's a segue out of it. There you go. <laughs> uh, we get a preview for Brett and Diesel. I cannot wait until we get like the classic, like high quality video packages for main events because this one sucks. Uh, but the backstory on this one: both previous encounters between Brett and Diesel for the WWF title have ended without a decisive winner. Uh, there was the disqualification win for Brett at the King of the Ring '94 and the no contest at the Royal Rumble '95. So, th- this matchup is made by Gorilla Monsoon. No countout, no disqualification, must be a winner. And it's really interesting because last year at the Survivor Series is when this whole story kind of started. Brett loses the WWF title to Bob Backlund thanks to dubious actions of Owen Hart. Uh, then, at Madison Square Garden, Diesel defeats Bob Backlund in like eight seconds. And wins the WWF title. This is day 358 of Diesel's WWF title reign. We go to the commentary desk. And again, Jim Ross selects Diesel. Mr. Perfect says Bret Hart's going to win. They're 50-50 booking the announcers. Like, oh my gosh. But it is time for our main event. No count out, no disqualification for the WWF title. Both men make their way to the ring to great crowd reactions. And I love this. Just as the bell sounds... Diesel and Brett both untie a turnbuckle pad, exposing the steel turnbuckles. That was uh, really good. Good little it's touch. It's an ODQ there. match, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And now it's no turnbuckles, I guess. I don't know. It was a good little touch, though. Yeah, it was. Uh, Brett tries to attack Diesel's leg and gets trapped in the corner, and Diesel begins just unloading on Brett early in the contest. Keeps him trapped in the corner. At one point, Diesel delivers a punch to the midsection, which sends Brett to the floor. Brett tries to recover on the entranceway, and Diesel continues his assault. Uh, especially during the beginning of this matchup, Diesel's very deliberate and slow with his motions. Uh, yep. He's not he's not letting Brett get any momentum. He's taking his time, which is ironic for a guy who gets who doesn't get paid by the hour. But just saying. I know he said he's going to come in there. He's going to knock him out quick and all this stuff. He didn't. What were you doing, dude? The, dude? You texted me like, "Hey, this match is really good." And from the beginning, the first handful of minutes, I'm like, "Bro, this match is boring." Yeah, the, the the first the first couple minutes are boring in this match. It it takes a minute for this thing to get going. Diesel sends Brett crashing into the steel steps, and then ramps him back first into the steel post, and then Diesel grabs the chair, and he whacks Brett across the chair. This is playing off of the matchup at the Royal Rumble in '95. Brett had used the chair on Diesel. Diesel getting revenge. Listen, if it took you 11 months to get revenge for hitting somebody with a chair, like you have a lot of patience, Diesel. Yeah. Um, Diesel motions for the jackknife. Brett hooks the leg and to block the hole. I like the I like that Brett is targeting the leg and also protecting himself at the same time. And then Brett begins to bite Diesel and to get out of the grass and finally get some offense. Uh, Brett begins to work on the knee of Diesel in the corner, and Brett's strategy really shows through in this matchup. They talked about it on commentary. Brett's game plan was survive the early onslaught from Diesel and then start dissecting the leg. It's kind of that old rope-a-dope. Like, you take the punishment for a while, let the big man gas himself out, and he kind of works in this matchup. Like, Brett takes down Diesel, he works over the leg, puts on the figure four in the middle of the ring, and here's where I get really annoyed. Diesel gets the rope break. 
Well, he gets to the rope, and Vince is like, he's got to break the hole. I'm like, but, like, why? He doesn't have to break the hole. Nope, what do you... he absolutely does not. Mr. Perfect even says, like, what are you going to do, disqualify him? You can't. But eventually, Brett releases the hold. I'm like, that was very dumb. Yeah, they should have done that thing where he, like, climbs out of the ring to break the hold. That's what they should have done. Yeah. Brett continues to work over the leg a little bit more and attempts the sharpshooter, but then Diesel pokes Brett in the eye, and then Diesel kicks Brett and sends it backwards into the exposed turnbuckle. The back of Brett's head hits the exposed turnbuckle. So you knew it was going to play a factor, and ouch, it played a factor. Uh, Diesel then attempts to take over, but Brett counters and wraps Diesel's knee around the steel post, and here's where the match really gets interesting. Bret Hart grabs a television cable from the ground, ties it to the steel post, and then ties it to Diesel's ankle. Here's, here's what I liked about this spot. Diesel was kind of doing the same thing he did in the Bulldog match where he just stayed on the mat for a while. This at least gives him a justified reason as to why he's not getting up. Like, yeah. he is stuck. Mm-hmm. Brett, Brett climbs the middle rope and hits a flying elbow on Diesel, who can't get out of the way. He's trapped. And then Brett grabs the chair and brings it into the ring. Diesel boots the chair away from Brett momentarily. Diesel tries to grab the chair. Brett steps on the chair and then begins to attack Diesel. First in the back and then repeated shots to the knee of the champion with the chair. Brett is dissecting Diesel and he is picking him apart. Brett hits the backbreaker on Diesel, climbs up the ropes with the chair in his hand. Diesel cuts him off. Brett crotches himself on the top rope, and then Diesel press slams Brett all the way across the ring, yeah. which which finally gives him time to untie his ankle. Mm-hmm. Diesel with a sidewalk slam only gets a two count, and then sends Brett sternum first into the exposed turnbuckle. Like, I hate that bump anyway, and like, for anybody questioning, those things are steel, and they're heavy, and they hurt. And just, ow, why you do this? Uh, Diesel drops all of his weight across Brett, who is draped across the ropes. And then Diesel tries to snake eyes Brett into the exposed turnbuckle. Brett counters, sending Diesel headfirst into the steel. Brett follows up. Middle rope bulldog only gets a two count. And then he sends Diesel to the floor. Brett Hart, this is Brett Hart, I say, tries a flip plancha. Diesel moves out of the way, and Brett just crashes on the floor. Yeah. Brett tries to recover and re-enter the ring. And speaking of crashing, Diesel sends Brett crashing off the apron and through the table. It is such a clean table break. It is such a pretty table break. We talked about this one of our earliest episodes. This is the real, like, first table break of the WWF, and it's such Mm -hmm. an impactful use of the table. The crowd, and it's the Spanish announce table. Let's not forget that. It is the Spanish announce table. And the crowd is in disbelief. You just see people mm-hmm. swarming to the guardrail. They're like, what yeah. just happened? Absolutely. And the guys, the Spanish guys, have, they have no idea what's going on. So they both like fall out of their chairs and stuff and almost get hit. Uh, yeah, it was a very good spot for sure. And then Brett's starting to move out of the rubble. And Diesel's in disbelief. Diesel kind of throws Brett back in the ring, and he looks at the referee, and he's like, are you going to end this? And referee's like, match is still going. So Diesel eventually sets up Brett for the jackknife, and Brett collapses in the ring. And Diesel's just in disbelief. He goes, what am I, what am, what are we doing here? Diesel can't pull the trigger. Brett's playing possum, small package, roll up for the surprise win. Brett the Hitman Hart is the new WWF champion in 2454. Diesel pops right back up and goes, Mother. Yep. 
Thoughts on the match before the post-match. Oh, uh, the match, bro, it was it was a really good match. Uh, it wasn't the greatest match we've seen, um, but it was it was really good. It was really solid. Um, a lot of back and forth between these guys. I had no idea who was going to win, so it was exciting for that uh, respect. Uh, I love the uh, announce table break. It was a good match. The ending was so sudden. Like, because he, he rolled him up with a small package, and I was like, okay, he's not going to win. And then he did. You know, so I didn't know he was going to win the match. I didn't know he was going to win it that way. Uh, so it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting going back and watching this stuff when you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm, I imagine I'm having a lot more fun than you are. But see, here's the thing. I knew it was going to happen, and I still had fun with that match. I oh, love yeah. that match. I'm also a big Bret Hart fan, so yeah. Bret wins. Yay! Uh, after the match is the real interesting note, though. Diesel throws Earl Hebner to the canvas and power bombs Bret Hart. He then punches more rings out of Fizzle and power bombs Brett again. He takes the title from the referee and throws it to Brett. Diesel taunts up the entranceway as we go to a Survivor Series recap package. Mm-hmm. We go back to the commentary desk. Vince McMahon is in distraught. Like he is depressed that Diesel yeah. is doing this. Uh, Brett Hart still being attended in the ring as we fade to black on the 1995 Survivor Series. Diesel power may be running out in the WWF, Wade. Ooh. Yep, it is. Uh, what it was interesting was a lot of the fans were booing him for doing what he did, which was what would that's what you'd expect. But a lot of them were still cheering him like he was, you know, the good guy. I don't know what's coming up with his character. I don't know if this is like a heel turn or what. Honestly, I just don't know right now. Uh, but a lot of people were still cheering him. Like when he's walking down the ramp, people are still trying to high five him and stuff. Uh, yeah. So overall, the pay per view overall. Uh, was really solid. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, not the best pay-per-view we've seen. I think that would be Fall Brawl. But that, maybe the second best. See, it's interesting you said that. I think I have this above Fall Brawl. You sickened um, me. Here's the thing. The only real dud of a match on this one was Goldust Bam Bam. Yeah. Like, there there was two really, really solid matches at Fall Brawl. But there was two mm-hmm. solid matches here, too. Um, speaking of solid matches, I'm just going to spoil this ahead of time. The main event for In Your House 5 Seasons Beatings, Bret the Hitman Hart defend the WWF title against the British Bulldog, is phenomenal. Mm. Many people have rated it the best WWF match of 95. Hmm. So have you, have a, you seen it? I have seen it. Do it you is, think it's better than uh, Arn and Rick at Fall Brawl? Because that's the best match we've seen so far. I don't know it. They are they are good for different reasons. You'll see why. Hmm. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to next week on the podcast. Uh, yes, going, sir. We're going back to Raw versus Nitro for one week because we are on the road to World War Three, Wade. Yes, sir. Uh, let's take a quick preview of the podcast. This is the Raw versus Nitro standings. I've got Nitro had eight to two. You've got Nitro had eight one to one. That stupid tie. <laughs> um, do you want the Raw Nitro or ECW match card first? We're gonna cover all three next week. Let's just stay with WWF. All right. So the Fallout from Survivor Series. We're gonna build to. We have a new WWF champion. We're gonna obviously see uh, how this this path goes for Bret Hart now against his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, at In Your House Five. Hopefully also getting some follow-up on Diesel 
and his post-match actions. In action, though, we've got three really good matches on Raw next week. The 1-2-3 Kid takes on Hakushi. Skip takes on Savio Vega. And Owen Hart takes on Shawn Michaels in a very important main event. Mm-hmm. So that'll be that'll be next week on Raw. Next week on Nitro, it is the go home show before World War Three. Road Warrior Hawk takes on Big Bubba Rogers. Eddie Guerrero takes on Flying Brian Pillman of the Four Horsemen. Scott Norton takes on the Dungeon of Doom's Shark in a return match. And in the main event, Hulk Hogan takes on the former U.S. Heavyweight Champion Sting. What what is happening, man? And then I'm really looking forward to that. ECW Hardcore TV. We have two title matches on ECW next week. The Ooh. World Tag Team Titles, Two Cold Scorpio and the Sandman. Or sorry, let me Two Gold Scorpio and That's the Sandman. Right. Take on the Public Enemy. I wonder who's going to win that one since the Public Enemy was already at the WWF taping. Uh, so yeah, Two Two Gold Scorpio and the Sandman beat the Public Enemy. But the main event of ECW Hardcore TV, Mikey Whipwreck defends the ECW World Heavyweight title against superstar Steve Austin. Now, how the heck did that happen? Because I know the gimmick. What's going on here? I guess we'll see, I guess we'll see <laughs> I next week. I don't know. I know the stipulation. It's supposed to be saying man or two gold Scorpio. So how in the world did this happen? We'll find out next week. Find out next week, folks. Uh, will we, Wade, any lasting comments before we get out of here for this week? Nope, I'm happy to be. I'm getting over COVID now. I feel a lot better. Thank you for the well wishes and the prayers. And, uh, yeah, we're in wrestling, baby. And we're not bringing back Mr. President next week. Nope. Creepy old man. Impeach him. (laughs) Cancel him. (laughs) Cancel him. (laughs) We thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week on the Monday Night Warfare Podcast.